the Radio Stingray podcast is brought to you by our gold sponsor, McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, proudly supporting the MUA Sydney branch since 1977. Need assistance with employment, industrial or workers' compensation, or any other legal problem? Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get a real fighting lawyer on your side. tuned in to Radio Stingray. Well, to all the millions of listeners out there in podcast land, welcome to our next edition of Radio Stingray. We come to you on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation in the fully refurbished studios of Radio Hub with our magnificent editor, Silky. How are you, comrade? Thanks for all the efforts in your show. Um, and to our comrades in the studio, Dan Crumlin, Paul Garrett and Joe Deacon. Unfortunately, our dear comrade Paul Keating is in the Fair Work Commission as we speak. How's it all been going, comrades? Oh, it's been massive. Uh, you know, big hello to the 1.7 million listeners that downloaded the last episode. It's great to be. It's also been a very big month in politics. You've seen a Deputy Prime Minister uh, audition for Farmer Wants a Wife and now he's gone. Malcolm Turnbull's next. There's plenty going on and it's going to be a big show. So listen in, enjoy, have fun. We're up for it, Macko. This is going to be a big show because we're all about telling the workers that we're in their corner. We're all about telling fighting communities that we're in their corner. Let's bring it on. Let's show these rotten bastards that we need business. Good on you, Macko. Going to be a big show. Great to be back in the studio. Really looking forward to it. And wasn't it great to see those hundreds of thousands of downloads of that story that we ran on the last podcast about Bodie Mc... What was it? Uh, what was it, Paul? Uh, stupid Ferry McFerry face, but we kept it as Emerald Six because it was just a joke. And isn't it wonderful to see our support base in that wonderful region of the world, Don Bass, and all of our comrades out there struggling against the oppressive capitalist system, listening to Radio Stingray. We say to all you listeners, we love you. We can't wait for you to get back in contact with us, and we can't wait for you to enjoy this wonderful episode of Radio Stingray. Spasiba. At Unity Bank. We are 100% committed to maritime workers. We pride ourselves on delivering better all-round value to our members and their families. Unity Bank, proud supporter of the Maritime Union of Australia and sponsor of this podcast. Well, one of the longest written books in the world at the moment is The Crimes Against the Working Class, PG. You're down at Hutchison Port Botany where you had a couple of the comrades from the Port Kembla Coal Terminal come up and outline to the membership down there what's happening. Can you update the members, please? Absolutely. The Port Kembla... Coal Terminal at the moment are trying to uh, negotiate an enterprise agreement and what we're seeing, like so many other enterprise agreements, and particularly ones the CFMEU are involved in, is when they go to negotiate the agreement and the company just says no, they then move to lock out workers. Down in Port Kembla, there's been some 60-odd workers at the coal terminal there locked out every time a ship comes in and they bring scabs in to do their job. This is how the negotiations take place in 2018. This is the the greatness that is the Fair Work Act. As soon as you get a chance, you lock out your workforce and you tell them to negotiate their jobs from outside the line. We were lucky enough to have two of the members from the CFMEU come up to from Port Kembla last week and speak to the members out there at DP World and Hutchison. And here's a bit of what they had to say. Well, we've just finished a great meeting uh, out here at the car park at Hutchison Terminal. Some 70-odd members in attendance. I'm here with Nathan and David from the CFMEU Port Kembla, the coal terminal workers there who've been locked out and fighting for a fair go. Boys, can you tell us a bit about what's going on? Well, yeah, basically it's for three years we've been trying to negotiate an enterprise agreement and the whole time it's just the company sort of been stalling and you know, just got to the point where, um, yeah, we they, well, actually they put up a docker for vote in September which they changed just, just right before they put it out. They obviously got voted down. From there, they actually put, put in an application to terminators. So, yeah, yesterday we were at the commission, the termination application, and we'll see where it goes from there. The um, application to terminate was on the back of the agreement that was thrown down in September, as Dave says. The um, company have 
had some documents leaked to the ABC and on the, on the 7.30 report on the 17th of, um, of January. You can find that on the CFMEU Mining and Energy Division Facebook page. It's a 10-minute video. It's basically the whole playbook on how to terminate an enterprise agreement and we, we are led to believe that they've been ticking the boxes along the way to justify their case to terminate the enterprise agreement and have the look or transparency that they've been negotiating in good faith. But with these documents, it seems to be bad faith bargaining. And so we've seen workers being locked out repeatedly for having a go. Can you tell us a bit about that? So we were locked out. We were locked out on the 8th of January for a period of four or five days. Um, they got supplementary professional labour, as they call it, to do our work while we weren't there. The, it seems to be the, the common thing that they're going to do these days is we had ships on the weekend. Um, we got locked out Friday from Thursday night to Friday and then they let us back in for a period of about 24 hours and then they locked us out again when the next ship came along. So we're led to believe that every time that we will be loading a ship down to Port Kemba Coal Terminal, we'll be locked out um, to try and squeeze us into doing what signed an agreement we're not happy with. We know the CFMEU is not afraid of a blue. You've been down there fighting and that. How's the spirit of the members down there? Oh, everyone's, um, no, one, no one's going to back down. We definitely, that, that's the case. But um, back back at work now, it is morale-wise, it's a pretty depressing place to be at. Just you're walk, walking around with um, with management team members that are actually, you know, that are inside working while we're locked out. The uncertainty of it all, not knowing what's going to happen. The solidarity amongst the workforce seems to be really good. The Since we've been locked out, I'd, I'd personally feel that the workers have come more together, more united. Um, we seem to be all on the same page. But as Dave says, in, actually in, in working, the morale's down, not knowing whether we've got a job, what conditions are on it, what we're going to be working under. Pay rate, super, with the termination case leering over the top of our head. The supplementary labour doing our jobs and locking us out, then what kind of morale can you have in your workplace? And maybe that's what they're trying to achieve. Well, Nathan, David, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Stingray. Good on you for the fight. Um, keep it up, and we're certainly standing with you. One day longer, one day stronger. All the best, boys. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Thanks for your time. Thanks, well, there we have it, listeners. Another example of extremist employers out there using the current Fair Work Act. Can you believe that's what it's called? The Fair Work Act to basically make mugs of the Australian working class, and it's not good enough. We need to change the rules, as Sally McManus says, but we also need to change the system because we can't have these organised conspiracies by the world's largest companies using the current suite of legislation to deny workers their fundamental rights of employment. I mean, going back to the award, can you believe it? The employing class were out there 30 years ago, whinging, crying their eyes out, asking for the awards to be dismantled because they wanted because they wanted to go to enterprise employment. And here we have the enterprise employment bargaining system being torn to shreds by some of the richest CEOs on earth. What a disgrace. It's a disgrace to our parliament that these laws have been enacted and a further disgrace that companies are out there using those laws to deny workers and their families natural justice. And there we were at the end of February, down there at the Temple of Doom, the Fair Work Commission, where we were all gathered supporting the Port Campbell Coal Terminal workers in their fight to ensure that their enterprise agreement wasn't terminated. We had a number of very important speakers, being Sally McManus, Gary Keane, Arthur Rorris and Mark Morey, all outlining the vision for a much fairer and just society, for a transition away from the Fair Work Act into uh, legislation that seeks to protect workers' rights, not only for an enterprise agreement, but also the right to organise and what we believe in the MUA Sydney branch for the right to strike. This segment is brought to you by RT Health, your industry mutual not-for-profit health fund that has been looking after members like you since 1889. Call us on 1300 564646 to find out how you can join the crew and benefit from the exclusive MUA health plan. Comrades, we've been hearing the stories from Oakey Creek for more than 200 days now. It's one of the longest lockouts in Australian history. Too often, the sycophants in media don't expose the true impact of these industrial disputes uh, between some of the world's most horrible companies and their workforces and the impacts it has on their families and communities. However, we've just had another Sydney branch solidarity trip up to Oakey Creek uh, and we've got Dan and Joe to give you members out there in Radio Stingray land an update as to what's occurring. Comrades, can you let us know what's happening? Yeah, Michael, we can. We, 
Dan and I and uh, veterans from Newcastle and Sydney, along with a couple of Patrick's Wharfies, went up there to visit these heroic comrades on the picket line up there at Oakey Creek North. And the stories of woe turn into stories of courage. The courage that these people and conviction that they show is second to none. And I want you, you know, your listeners to have, just have a listen to the stories of two of these heroic comrades. Look, I'm going to ask both of you a question here, and, it's, and I'll start with you, Jason. It's yep. about what sort of effect do you believe it's having on the community here? What effect is it having on your family, comrade? And I'll ask both of you because it's very important for people to know how things are going in terms of your family up here. Yeah, well, for me, probably the hardest thing for me is I'm a family man. I've got two kids. One's just finished high school. She's going to uni this year um, in nursing, so she's about to leave home. Um, my young fella, I'll get up in the morning. If he's, a, if he's around, he always says, Dad, when are you going back to work? And I'm like, mate, I, I don't know when I'm going back to work because the company keeps locking us out. Um, you know, and it, for him, I think it's very hard to because he knows what the picket line's all about he, he we talk whatever you know and for him i think for me not to be at work it's strange for him because i've always been a worker i've never been right, I've never yeah. i've never been on the back foot like that like even in here like i've never had a bad performance review i suppose yeah. you could say so you'll put your best foot forward in your view for glencore for for whoever i've worked for so i've always had a good work ethic i've always been told that and to be locked out for 227 days is really a kick in the teeth. Oh, my feelings of the whole uh, situation with the community, uh, as you go further down the track, the town like Emerald is our probably a main, uh, bigger main shopping area, and it's affected greatly uh, due to the lockout. People don't spend the money that's been spent. I'm quite sure car companies that uh, sell cars in Emerald, grocery shops, the whole works. Uh, would be struggling very uh, by, by a long shot. Uh, school has struggled uh, with it as we've had a couple of people move on so we, lo- we lose students from schools. Uh, more students we lose from our schools in the country. Uh, their school teachers jobs so it's this about losing jobs in the mining industry. It's not just the mining industry, it's the education side of things as well where you, lead, you have school teachers leave from your school due to lack of numbers from people moving on in your communities. So there you have it. There's a group of workers that have been locked out from their job for over 200 days for again trying to negotiate an enterprise agreement. And as you hear, it doesn't just affect the workers. It's the wives, it's the kids, it's the parents, it's the family, it's the community that gets affected by this. You know, Dan and Jay, you had a great honour of going up there and representing the union with those workers. What was your take on it, Dan? How how were they up there? Yeah, thanks, PG. Mate, they're really doing it tough up there, the comrades, but they're determined, they're united, their spirits are lifted. We thought we'd give them a lift for the old veterans and they fair dinkum give us a lift. They don't muck around 234 days. They're fighting and they're going to continue to fight. They've got the support of their families and their uh, kids. And, um, mate, they've got some certain restrictions on the picket line that they are uh, got to work their way through. They're doing a fantastic job, and they are fair income warriors of the working class. They're doing a fantastic job, and we all should be proud of them. You know, like Dan says, comrades out there, when you visit work sites like up there, you're expecting workers to be down and out. i tell you what they've done up there at Oakey Creek. We went up there with full intentions to lift their spirits what they'd done was bloody lift ours. They just showed inspiration and courage like you wouldn't want to know. They're staring down the barrel. You know, there's, there's word around that there might be a breakthrough in the next couple of days, that there could be an agreement in place. But doesn't matter what the, the main thing, and the main thing we have to realise that these people were subjected to the most ruthless treatment by a multinational that's given a free reign by government in this country of any persuasion, so long as we've got things like the so-called Fair Work Commission in place, how in the bloody hell are we going to get anywhere? Those miners up there at Oakey Creek North have done nothing wrong. They've done nothing wrong. They've worked, some of them, for 20-odd years down that pit and have absolutely shown loyalty, probably too much loyalty, to this employer 
only to be thrown on the scrap heap like an old boot. But I want to tell you, these people have got their backs up. They have the support of the MUA. They have the support of the Sydney brands. We've been up there in droves. We've been up there twice. They love us up there. They love the camaraderie. These people wouldn't know the difference between Karl Marx and Groucho Marx, but they know what politics are all about and they know they've got a fight on their hands that they must win. Well, wasn't it a disgrace to see Dutton, that filthy, rotten, potato-headed bastard, in Parliament House ridiculing the Aitke Creek miners who travelled down to Canberra to tell their story to politicians who should be listening, listening to Australian workers telling them about the nature of the attacks on their workplace and their families and the communities that they represent. It was fairly typical. You'd expect nothing more from that rotten bastard. Uh, And all he does is demonstrate the contempt that the Australian Parliament and particularly the Liberal and National Parties have for their regional workplaces and regional communities and regional workers. Now, as you have both clearly articulated very well, these courageous miners uh, come from a union with one of the strongest heritages, one of the strongest traditions of militancy, of fighting back against bosses, against mining corporations and anyone else who has a go at them, and they're continuing that fine tradition. The Sydney branch couldn't be more prouder of those workers who have stood on that picket line for more than 220 days against one of the most hostile employers in the country. Um, And all we can do is continue to offer our full solidarity, our full support, and much more than that, I've got to say, this fight will not end when those workers go back into that pit. This fight will only finish when workers are able to overthrow the system that allows these laws to be used and abused by employers the world over. So we say to our Aki Creek comrades, this fight is ours as much as it is yours. We'll continue the campaign to secure the justice that you deserve and then we'll continue together in the campaign to rid this country of the rotten laws that subjugate workers and their families to these crimes. So comrades, well done. Continue the struggle and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Protect, Australia's leading severance and income protection fund for maritime workers. For a site visit or further information on how to get Protect in your enterprise agreement, contact Craig Johnson on 0400 671 274. You're with Marla from Radio Stingray and joining us from rural Tasmania where she's campaigning to defeat the Liberals is MUA National Women's Liaison Officer Michelle Myers. We lost a great comrade in Zelda Diaprano. Can you please tell us about her activism and her story? Uh, Zelda was just amazing. Uh, when she decided to chain herself to the Commonwealth Building in Melbourne um, for equal pay way back, uh, she um, she told me the story that she uh, had to speak to the WWF um, members down there at the time or, and, the, and the Siemens Union boys to find a chain because she didn't have one and she didn't have any money and she didn't realise how expensive they were and apparently one of them found one for her. She said she was always scared to tell that story because uh, in case they got in trouble sure they didn't pay for it themselves um, but she uh, she decided she had to take action and, and fight for equal pay and to do something extreme to bring attention to it. So what was the reaction like at the time? Uh, I guess it shocked everyone so uh, a woman to take action like that is um, is a shocking thing to do in those days and um, I think that's what we need to do sometimes is uh, the shock factor to get our message across and she just uh, does that. And she was involved in campaigns later on in her life, wasn't she, for equal pay as well? Yeah, she fought hard all, all her life until she uh, passed away last week in her 90s. Um, she was always fighting for it. When I met her in 2011, she said, I can't believe I'm still fighting for equal pay. Um, and she's right. And it's 2018, and you mentioned that we're still fighting for equal pay. Why do you think it's so important that we continue her fight? Not, um, not in, not for uh, Zelda, for women everywhere. We need to continue to fight to, to break down the gender pay gap, to, um, to fix the inequality in our society. I mean, you look anywhere in the world, and, and women are always being treated differently. And um, we need to continue to fight for ourselves and, and for our, um, our kids that are coming behind us. And is there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, look, it's International Women's Week. Uh, I call it the week, even though it's a day, but. Um, I think um, I just really want to see some members get involved and 
uh, male and female members. I want to see people get out in the streets. I want them to support their comrades on the back of what happened um, with uh, Michaela Cash this week and the vile comments that came out of her mouth. I think it's time that the community stood up and fought for women as a whole. Uh, get out in the streets, get to the marches, get to any event that you can find and be a part of it, be a part of something special and fight on and in honour of Zilda De Pano and, uh, and fight for women everywhere. So there are local women's marches happening next week, so it's important people get along to them. Absolutely, everyone. Bring your kids, bring your dog, um, come along to um, and then celebrate the women in their life and, and celebrate the fact that we're going to continue to fight um, and break down all of the inequalities that we still see um, that are around us. Thanks for your time today. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. Thank you. Maritime Employees Training Limited is an independent, not-for-profit industry training body. Governed by the representatives from the MUA, Maritime Employees and the Training Sector Experts, Metal's goal is to develop the most skillful, safe and efficient maritime workforce globally. Comrades, and now for industrial rounds, and we'll do some reports on EAs. It's been a relatively quiet month for Radio Stingray listeners out there in regards to EAs, but Joe, can you give us an update about the Port Authority Enterprise Agreement? I can, Macca. Uh, sadly, last year, in, on the 15th of December, the Port Authority, after 11 months of negotiating, decided they were going to put out a union-exclusive ballot and they put the ballot out and unfortunately the ballot got up, albeit that it got up by a couple of votes. But the union now are contesting the validity of that ballot. We've told the commission that we're going to, you know, we, we want it to be flushed out, who in fact was given the right to vote, who was covered by the collective agreement, because we have a suspicion that management, some management, were actually given the right to vote and they're not part of that collective agreement. So that's ongoing. It's in the hands of the lawyers now. But we've told the Port Authority that as far as we're concerned, we're not going to cop this and we want, we want it to be exposed, what's going on. But, uh, Comrade, this is ongoing. Yeah, it certainly is, Joe, and it's something that we've been reporting on Radio Stingray now for many, many months. And it was a very difficult thing to see that vote come back with the highest turnout I've ever seen for an enterprise agreement ever. Uh, they must have done every trick in the book to um, pull out of the woodwork any possibility um, of any of the employees voting up that agreement. It's a bit of a shame that the uh, MUA workforce who came out very strongly and opposed that enterprise agreement have had in fact that enterprise agreement thrust upon them at this point in time and as you rightly say the agreement is being put into dispute by the MUA and will continue to update members about that very important enterprise agreement. Uh, PG, you've been involved in a, in a couple of enterprise agreements, mate. Can you update the members, please? Yeah, well, we're just getting starting to get into the enterprise agreements. DP World Logistics, the site there at Port Botany, which uh, Mark yourself and Kudo have been heavily involved with uh, organising and getting there. A new t new yard, we're getting ready to start those negotiations, so they'll kick off in the next month and hopefully there'll be a very decent outcome for those workers. Harbour City Ferries, um, it's coming around again. We're just in the throes now getting that those negotiations started. Um, that's a little bit more difficult because we've got a government contract that's up for a renewal at the moment, but that'll be managed by the branch and we'll get through that. And also the gas ships are uh, coming up. Their EBA expires on the 31st of July, so we'll be back in the room with the management very shortly to talk about their enterprise agreement. So they're three that are coming up very quickly. Thanks for that, PG. And as I said at the outset of the show, comrade Paul Keating is not available for this podcast, for this uh, Radio Stingray episode as he's currently in the Fair Work Commission, as I called it, uh, the Temple of Doom. He's up there basically trying to ensure that the Pat Patrick's truck drivers who have asked to be uh, basically made a distinct workplace in a, in a, in a logistics agreement, uh, we're arguing that those workers are distinct organisationally, uh, operationally and geographically from the, the much bigger Patrick's truck driving workforce who operate outside of the terminal and we're hoping to get an outcome there but we'll obviously give reports in relation to that matter. We've also um, just received advice today that Kalmar would be opposing the protected action ballot that the membership have taken out against them. We've been locked in negotiations for many months now. There hasn't been any significant movement from the company and as a consequence of that the uh, workers down there at Kalmar, the maintenance workforce for Patrick's have voted to reject the uh, latest offer of settlement 
and have moved to go to a protected action ballot because they believe that's the only way that we're going to be able to have any ability to secure some of the outcomes that that uh, work group wants to achieve. So there's a couple of very important EA updates there, comrades. Next, we'll move into uh, disputes and then from there, campaigns. Radio Stingray, brought to you by Unity Bank, your bank at work. Well, comrades, summer was made for loving, and it appears that the bosses out there have taken some of our advice from the last podcast and not entered into a period of class warfare with MUA members. Obviously, we've had the usual um, minor disputes um, and disciplinary hearings that we have to attend on an almost daily basis. But for significant major disputes, we, we haven't had any um, over the last couple of months. So that's good to report. However, there's still a couple that we need to. And Joe, um, just today, the 1st of March, uh, we have a, a dispute unfolding, comrade. Yes, we do, Macca. Unfortunately, you know, you say about the 1st of March, summer's gone, but the heat getting applied to the workers, the heat every day. Every day of the year, the workers feel the heat of these rotten bosses. And one of these rotten bosses in this case is a company by the name of Inco Shipping Company. Now, they've got this small tanker called the Integrity. Now, the Integrity, our blokes are working 12 hours, 14 hours, sometimes 16 hours to keep this vessel going because it's a tanker. And we lost the right to man tankers two years ago and this tanker comes along. All of a sudden, the company decided to lay the vessel up for nine to ten days from today. And they said, all you IRs, all you integrated ratings, pack your bags, you're not wanted, but all you engineers and all you mates and you, the captain, you can stay. Well, we told the company this afternoon they could stick that where the sun don't shine. We're not copping our people getting thrown down the gangway again. And, you know, the old threat, Macca, the old threat again was, oh, well, it'll go off the coast. We'll take it off the coast. If you think, you know, they hold a gun to our head every time. And these workers on the ship have resolved to say, hey, we've done everything right here and we're not going to cop it. And we're going to fight you all the way. And you know what? Our union's going to fight with them. Great stuff, comrade. It's always good to hear um, workers engaged in struggle, being supported by their unions and doing everything that we can uh, to deliver the outcomes that we absolutely fundamentally deserve. And to see these rotten bosses running around the coast using all the threats, the usual intimidation, ain't worth a cracker. If you didn't have the legislation protecting you, you wouldn't be anywhere remotely close to being where you are today. Um, but it's not a uh, surprise to once again to hear bosses out there using extreme laws um, to basically attack workers. Uh, PG, you got a couple yourself, mate. Can you update the members, please? No, thanks, Macca. There's a few things going on. I suppose in Bunkering Lane too, there's a good one going on at the Anatoma at the moment. Our members have been working on that vessel since 2010 and been told that their uh, jobs are being finished up on the 20th of March. Glencore, who now oversees the bunkering contract for the cruise ships and ships in Botany, have decided to uh, sail the vessel and said that's enough and close the job down. The only thing is they haven't got a replacement vessel um, and there's... After the 20th of March, there's another seven cruise ships in, in the next 10 days. So we're currently back in discussions with Switzer, who owned the barge, um, and looking to keep that extended and back on track. We know Switzer's going back to Glencore saying, you know, there is a job here to be done. So we're talking with the members, and hopefully uh, there'll be a two-month extension, if not a 12-month extension, and hopefully longer there. A few other things going on. The gas buggies, it's been reported previously the, uh, on the 27th of November, the gas buggy management, the four ships that run LNG from Karatha to Japan, would be uh, scaled down and wound out. We've been involved in a number of meetings, and I've been involved in that uh, over the last three months. Talking to the Northwest Shelf Management, we're currently working through a process there to say, we don't mind what your plans are, but there's four Australian ships, and we want to make sure that whatever happens moving forward, those four ships are still manned, or four other ships are manned, but either way, we're still on four ships and we need to move forward. I suppose the last one, Macker, I want to report on in a more sombre note, the branch has been doing a lot of work um, about a fatality that took place 12 months ago to the day that we record Radio Stingray of Tim McPherson down at the Brangaroo Ferry Hub. Only earlier this week I uh, finalised a witness statement. That's most likely going to go to a coronial inquest and so it should. Um, it was a life of a worker that was just absolutely unnecessarily lost because of a lazy 
procurement process with Transport for New South Wales? Absolutely no oversight with work health and safety and allowing a worker to uh, put himself into a position that he should have never been in through a company that absolutely did not care about workplace health and safety. That's still got some distance to go, and so it should. Um, he should never have died, and his life should never have been taken in vain by the boss with the way it's done. And just today being 12 months out from that terribly tragic day, um, it doesn't matter what comes out of the coronial inquest or any challenges there. There's a father who's not with his kids tonight, there's a husband who's not with his wife tonight, and that's because of safety standards. We're so lax on that barge, the Mayvan. Um, we continue to take up the fight um, and make sure we get some justice for Tim and for his family and make sure that we lift the safety standards in the maritime industry. And I suppose I'll finish on this one. Maka, you and I were involved in a situation earlier this week, and I've got to make special note of the uh, DP World Work Health and Safety Committee and the HSRs, and two of them in particular, uh, Matt and Justin, who went out of their way to stand up at uh, DP World on a matter of safety. Simple issue about wires on portainer cranes and RTGs. Um, you have to grease wires, you have to oil them, you've got to take care of them and look after them. Um, confronted with a situation where that hadn't been done for an extended period of time, and you got to a situation where the wires were either bone dry or rusted through. Very interesting day. Um, when an entire terminal shuts down on the question of safety because it was so lax. And it's even more interesting when Safe Work comes out and absolutely supports the workforce. They haven't been known too much in recent years for going out of their way to support workers. But this was one of those days where we were 110% in the right. We had right on the side. The company didn't. Um, and all power to the HSRs who had a go, all power to the committee that supported them and all power to the workforce who stood up there on this such an important safety issue. All around Australia on portainers and RTGs every day, there's wire ropes being used. They've got to be maintained. They've got to be maintained safely. And if they're not, the machine's grounded. Thanks for that, Paul. And as you indicate, it's a tragic anniversary that none of us want to basically celebrate. Um, and all we can say from the MUA Sydney branch is our ongoing love and support to Tim and his family. Um, We'll continue to make sure that we do everything we can to push for safer laws, to push for safer workplaces in and around our industry. Um, and as you indicate, we can't do enough to make sure that our members go home. It's one of the core responsibilities of officials. And that DP world dispute we've had in recent days basically demonstrates that whilst companies run around saying safety is the number one priority, we still see these examples, and they're example after example, of where that principle doesn't seem to be put into effect. There was extraordinary pressure placed on those workers and their representatives on the WHS committee to go back to work, into cranes, into RTGs that they had a fundamental concern with, if not fear, uh, that working in or alongside those cranes could have ended up in our death. And for the bosses to basically suggest that it may have been industrial action says to me that their principles need to be adjusted and that when workers highlight their, their concerns and fears in relation to equipment, heavy equipment, heavy machinery and unsafe work areas that they're listened to and that everything goes into resourcing uh, those workers and their representatives into building a safer workplace. Uh, I basically relieved you down there after you get in the call at seven o'clock in the morning. I came in at around midday uh, and we were still under incredible pressure to put machines back into operation that hadn't been declared safe. Uh, and now, thankfully, the Work Health Safety Committee down there at DP World Port Botany have put in place a regime to ensure that, um, that RTGs and cranes are safe. And we're seeing um, machine after machine going back into operation now um, as they're declared safe, not only by the um, experts, uh, but also after all of the, uh, the maintenance workers have been greasing all of those wires. And to see that parted wire and to see how dry it was and to see that if one more heavy lift had been taken, I mean, the idea um, that this was just, um, you know, operationally uh, lucky uh, is an under understatement. The crane driver heard that the, the, um, there wasn't something quite right 
stopped the machine, had it inspected, and we found that a wire had been parted. Now, if that wire had broke, as we have seen in countless examples in this port and around the world, workers can be injured or killed. And um, that F undertaken by the Work Health Safety Committee is absolutely commended, supported, and will ensure that all of our workplaces around the entire waterfront are made safe so that we can all go home um, in ways that our, um, our that Tim couldn't. And it's always a difficult thing to reflect upon. But I ask all of you out there who are listening to this podcast that there is no greater condition than your safety. And no matter how many times a boss stands over you or attempts you to go to work in an unsafe work environment, tell them no. And if you feel that you're being put under pressure, contact your delegates, contact your officials, and we'll make sure that that workplace is stopped or operations are ceased until such time as it's made safe. And that is your legislated right. And don't allow any boss or any other worker for that matter to pressure you into working unsafely. It simply isn't worth the risk. Comrades, well, we've reported in recent months the activities of VICT, the terminal that's operated by ICTSI, uh, one of the internationally um, you know, recognised gangster corporations. Uh, ICTSI is uh, one of the larger global network terminal operators and unfortunately they've been on a um, course of destruction right around the world where workers are organised, they undermine them, they use anti-worker legislation, they use anti-union tactics to destroy those workplaces and the conditions that they've built up. Uh, I'm not going to mention the unmentionables, uh, the people, the parasites, the, the, the filth that have been involved in organising against dockers, wharfies, longshoremen, whatever you call ourselves right around the world, um, what's happened in Melbourne, in Victoria, is an international disgrace and the MUA at a local, national and international level are ensuring that ICTSI and VICT, their terminal in Melbourne, don't get away with the union busting and, and worker destruction tactics that they're currently involved in. They went out and got a um, secured an enterprise agreement um, with, a, with, a, with a handful of AMOU members who basically took over the work that has traditionally been undertaken by waterside workers and wharfies and their union, the MUA, in one of the most opportunistic grabs that I've ever seen in the Australian trade union movement. Now, we have got a, a substantial and substantive campaign being waged, not only against uh, VICT, um, but against um, all of the operators that seek to use the legislation to undermine our hard-fought for conditions. We've seen um, these tactics... Uh, unfold in a number of ways, including uh, sacking the delegate who was involved uh, instrumentally um, in uh, defending the workers' rights in that workplace. He was one of uh, more than a dozen, as I understand it, uh, individuals who hadn't secured an MSIC card uh, and was the only one left out of being allocated to work. There was a significant community response, uh, not only of maritime workers, but workers throughout the port uh, and workers throughout Victoria uh, and for that matter, Sydney uh, maritime workers went down and, and supported the community assembly that was taking place outside the terminal. Uh, We've seen for the first time ever that uh, the secretary of Vic Trades Hall, Luke Hilakari, basically be injuncted from a protest. Now, if you think you've got democracy simply because you have the ability for once every three years or four years or whatever the case might be of going and ticking a box for some bastard to go and um, you know represent you in, in Parliament or pretend to represent you in Parliament, then you're absolutely kidding yourself. Democracy exists every day of the week. There's not a minute of the day goes by where you don't have access to your democratic rights. Yet this Liberal government is attempting to tear away all of those rights through enormous number of legislative pieces seeking to undermine your ability to protest. This VICT campaign is not only about justice for workers uh, in and around the waterfront, but it's about justice for workers. And we've seen VICT and ICTSI come out with all of the threats, all of the intimidation, the big fines, you know, putting on us that we've got to pay $5 million. And if we don't pay the $5 million, we've got to pay $100 million. I mean, who the, f who the hell do they think they are? Who do they think they are coming and attacking workers' representative organisations, which is what trade unions are, and suing them 
for triple what they're worth. I mean, have a look at yourselves. Um, I can't wait for the day, I've got to say. if there, This is not going to be the first example of a tax on unions, and it certainly isn't going to be the last. But if workers and their unions don't fight back in a much more hard and brutal fashion, then we are simply going to see the destruction of unions through fines and being sued left, right and centre, as we've already seen workers and their officials fined and sued. Um, so this campaign is a tremendously important one and we're going to continue to update you to ensure that you are aware of the nature of these attacks on your workers' um, rights and conditions on the waterfront. And we know, we know that these conditions in some respects are 15%, some are 25%, some are 40% worse than what we've been able to secure on Australia's waterfront going back many, many years. So this fight will absolutely be taken up by the MUA and any other union that seeks to act in solidarity with us. We look forward to it. We relish it. We can't wait for you to get back in the kennel where you belong. <sighs> now that I've got that off my chest, PG, what's your dispute, comrade? I feel like I need a cigarette. There's been, uh, been a bit going on. Last uh, Radio Stingway, I said I was going to have a tilt for the Cedar Banks. We've been doing a lot of campaigning um, over the summer period, speaking to some 500-odd ALP members in the Cedar Banks. With a closer nomination, I hate to say it, but I didn't nominate in the end. I made a decision after speaking with the branch executive and the national officer and a number of good comrades not to run. Um, at the time when the decision was made, the numbers were split. There's no doubt I was in the hunt and there's no doubt I was a very good chance of winning, but the outcome could have seen a split between the branches. Um, two left-wing candidates and a right-wing candidate was always going to lead to some problems. It's a numbers game in the end. But I've got to say this. I've been so honoured and humbled to stand up and even put the name forward to go and talk about industrial relations change, to talk about the rights of workers that have been stripped away, to talk about changing the dynamics in Parliament and also changing the representatives. Over the course of many meetings, candidates, forums, I had the honour of representing maritime workers and workers out there by just saying we need to do more than the Fair Work Act. We need to repeal that document, get rid of it and replace the whole thing, putting in a system that gives workers a fair go. We need to change the system so the balance of power is shifted in favour of workers and not against workers. At the end of the day, the decision was made, and it's a hard decision too, after discussion with my darling wife and the family, it's not an easy decision to leave the maritime union. It's like a drug you can't give away. Representing maritime workers is going to be the favourite chapter of my life, and um, it wasn't very easy to uh, pull out, but at, at the end of the day, after having a week or two to reflect on it, I'm glad I did, because the timing wasn't right, and that's okay. But we got in there, we had the debate, we had the go, and we'll have another go again when the timing's right. We'll go and take up the fight. But one thing's for sure. Whoever gets elected into the seat of the banks, or whoever represents the Labor Party or any political party in any of the other 149 seats in Canberra, need to get off their ass and do more for workers. What we're seeing at the moment is rights being stripped away, wages being stripped away, healthcare now being determined on your credit card, not your Medicare card. You've got a situation in 2015 where some 732 companies earning $500 billion in revenue paid $0 in tax. But you've also got the same situation where tonight 100,000 people will be sleeping rough on the street in around Australia because we're not putting money into affordable housing. We're not putting money into social housing, yet we can keep putting money into uh, banks' pockets. We've got to do more. So, look, I'm still here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to represent workers. and I'm glad to stand shoulder to shoulder with a Sydney branch executive. And the last thing I'll say is this. To all the members who reached out and said, how can I support you with money? How can we support you with hours? How can we stand up and get behind the MUA, have a go? Thank you. It really meant a lot. And it's good to know that there's so many members out there who are keen and dedicated to piss this Turnbull government off, get rid of the duds there and put in someone that's prepared to represent workers. So to the executive and everyone, just thanks very much from the bottom of my heart. Well done, Paul. And um, that was a great contribution. And um, my political strategy is basically to put MUA ALP members into Parliament now and Communist mem members into the Parliament after the revolution. I think you would have been a, a fantastic candidate, a fantastic, uh, not only for banks, uh, but a fantastic addition uh, to um, working class people in the Australian Parliament. You absolutely deserved a shot at the title. Uh, that Banks electorate, I think, would have been enormously serviced by yourself with your community engagement, with the values and principles that you've got as a trade unionist, the progressive policies that you wanted to institute. I think it's fantastic that you've ran the campaign that you've had. 
Uh, and it's always been with the support of the entire Sydney branch executive as well as the membership, which was demonstrated at multiple meetings uh, of our members. And most importantly, what I've seen was a change in the way in which politics was discussed in that electorate. We've seen the community forums and we've seen the shift away from the sort of corporate policies that uh, are underpinned by um, parliamentary politics these days and a move back to working class politics. And nothing made me more prouder of you when you articulated the case for workers' right to strike. Uh, and it would have been a great position to take not only into the bank's electorate but also into the parliament. Congratulations on your campaign from all of us. And the best thing that happened out of all of this is we get to keep your comrade and so does the, M uh, the members of the MUA Sydney branch. Thanks, mate. PG, on the 22nd of February, Comrade, we were down there at Barangaroo for the smoking ceremony for the two new vessels uh, for Harbour City Ferries. Can you tell the members about that, please, mate? Yes, well, there's been a new ferry that everyone's heard about in the media called Stupid Ferry McFerry Face. Um, but before that, there was five other vessels brought in. Two of them had great names, being the Pemilway and the Bungaree. Pemilway was an Aboriginal resistance fighter, born in 1750, and I understand pretty much gave it to the First Fleet when he had the chance and Bungaroo was an explorer also from the Botany area. They were two great names given to two of the vessels, and one of the traditions that goes with naming vessels, um, and certainly down at Sydney Ferries there, led by the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Committee, is making sure there's a smoking ceremony down there um, that has deep connection and tradition at the ferries in regards to giving the vessels a new start, warding off the old spirits, but giving a good opportunity and starting afresh and moving forward. Now, when those vessels come in, the government and the company failed to have the smoking ceremony and both the members and the branch made strong representations that this needs to be fixed. So we joined uh, some 20-odd MUA members down there, Macra. It was a great day. Good opportunity down there at Barangaroo Wharf um, where we had one of the local elders come in and actually light up the eucalyptus leaves, have the smoking ceremony, go through the ferries and give them a clean start and a fresh opportunity. The new ferries are a great thing for Sydney Harbour. They provide... Great transport for millions upon millions of passengers, but they also provide jobs for MUA members. And there's a number of members and delegates down at the ferries of the MUA that's fought hard to ensure that we've lifted the numbers of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander employment and certainly support any ferries getting Aboriginal names and taking a bit of pride in the history of Sydney um, and the history of Australia and recognising those that don't ordinarily get recognised. So it was a good day. It was a great opportunity uh, for the workers down there. And I just want to make a note of all the uh, members down there from who are Indigenous and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander who stood up and done their bit to make sure this was recognised. I really enjoyed it, Mac, and it was a great thing that the MUA supports. Yeah, well, it was wonderful, comrade, and uh, as you suggested, the work done by our Aboriginal committee members uh, was excellent. It was a great celebration of Aboriginal culture and also uh, of ceremonial importance to the... Uh, to those vessels going out on Sydney Harbour. Very important. Well done. The MUA Sydney branch participated in a number of Invasion Day rallies around Sydney. The uh, biggest rally was held or started at the block where a number of speakers spoke about the importance of not only changing the date but also changing the system. For too long, this country has celebrated the crimes that were committed against the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. 26th of January represents to them the start of an ongoing genocide, the start of crimes committed against their peoples, which haven't really stopped until this day. And until we have uh, a day where all Australians can celebrate, Invasion Day will continue to be protested uh, and struggled on uh, to ensure that the non-Aboriginal Australian community understands the legacy of that colonial dispossession. So we marched in our uh, thousands. There was over 10,000 people who took the incredible action on Invasion Day on the 26th of January that they did. The Sydney branch was there in many, many numbers and it was greatly received by the community uh, and really wonderfully received by the Aboriginal uh, comrades as well. Joe? Well, you were down there at Silky's old stomping ground, White Bay, the, the home of the famous P&O port militant gangs of, of many, many decades for the uh, arrival of the peace boat. Can you tell the members about that, please? Yes, I can, Maka. What a day it was. 
particularly for me that was pretty involved in the peace movement all my life actually as a young kid right up until now. Like this vessel was so significant that it goes around the world and promotes world peace. It promotes the abolition of nuclear weapons. It says to countries you need to ship up or shape out in terms of making sure that we have a nuclear-free world. On that vessel were Japanese survivors of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bomb. Also we had on that vessel survivors of the Maralinga and Montebello explosions up there in the northwest, you know, where the British tested nuclear weapons up there. So there was a bit of a mishmash of workers and family community people from all around Japan and up there in the northwest sharing the same goal to rid this world of that rotten, absolute, you know, position of having nuclear weapons hanging over our head. The day was symbolic, like like PG said, there was a smoke ceremony. The Aboriginal people put on a smoke ceremony on the vessel. They blessed the vessel and they pushed away all the evil spirits, the warmongers and the gen- generals. I said, pack your bags, we don't want you around this joint. And it was very symbolic. It was very moving. The demonstration later on the day was absolutely moving. And I can tell you, I went to Peace Park in Hiroshima I went to Peace Park in Nagasaki and there was an old lady said to me in Hiroshima, please convey the message to your members and everyone in Australia, never, never again should we go through this. And that is the theme of this union because I said on the day and I'll keep saying it, peace is union business and the MUA is right up to their necks in the efforts to create peace in the world. Well, comrades, February has seen the retirement of our dear, dearly loved mate Sparkles, a wonderful comrade who has shown throughout uh, a number of years now his support and solidarity for the MUA Sydney branch for maritime workers uh, right throughout New South Wales. It was, gr- you know, sad to see him go, I've got to say, as being someone so closely linked someone who's been able to develop the relationship between the construction workers, the CFMEU and the MUA Sydney branch. What are your thoughts on it, Joe? Macca Sparkles has been an absolute powerhouse to his members, to workers in general in this state and indeed in the country. He's one of those blokes that don't blink. He's had those rotten hoons, you know, from the ABCC, hunting him down, filming outside his house, harassing his family, and he just stood up to this filth time and time again. Good on you, Sparkles. You know, we, we're going to miss you, comrade, but we know also know you're going to be around because the struggle's still here. Good on you, comrade. Well done. And what do you got to say about it, Paul? Well, he's a union official that I still think has one of the best nicknames with his brother Twinkles. Both of them added so much to the uh, construction industry, but Brian Parker is going to be uh, dearly missed from the trade union movement. Anytime we had a blue, he was there. Anytime there was a dispute, he was there. I'll go back to 1998 down there at Darlin Harbour and after the injunctions and him and his brother were there and they were there to support maritime workers and stood shoulder to shoulder. 2015 when we had Hutchison, himself and Rita were always there. The CFMU was always there supporting. He's never afraid of a blue. Um, and he was in a position where it was pretty tough in the last few years with that Rotten Royal Commission going through. Um, as you said, it was just ridiculous some of the pressure that was put on. But he was there and he stood it, stood it up and took it on. Absolute stalwart of the trade union movement. He retires, he gets out, he goes and enjoys a bit of life and he can leave uh, the CFMEU and the construction industry knowing that he's done his bit to improve and certainly the union is stronger, their union is stronger for the efforts that uh, he gave. He's been a great advocate of workers and I think one of the legacies that i just seen a couple of days before his retirement was announced that the CFMEU in the last five years had pulled back some 50-odd million dollars in unpaid wages and superannuation um, in the five years preceding his retirement there. They're phenomenal figures. You don't see the Fair Work Ombudsman doing that. You don't see Royal Commissions doing that. But you see trade unions leading that fight. And Brian, uh, good luck to you, mate. I hope everything goes well and I look forward to having a glass with you in the near future. And I wouldn't mind if you tipped me a few more winners, but well done. Yeah, well, he certainly tipped a heap of maritime workers some winners over the course of the last few years, particularly down there at Hutchison when the members were starving. Uh, a healthy tip from Sparkle certainly didn't go astray. Um, he has one of the, or had one of the toughest jobs 
uh, in the trade union movement, I've got to say. No one had their face plastered uh, in more newspapers or more news reports than Sparkles, and it had nothing to do with anything other than his willingness to stand up and fight back, to take on any boss, to take on any government, and to take on anyone who sought to take on his membership. He was a very proud trade unionist, proud trade union official, and he's going to leave a hole in the New South Wales trade union movement that's not going to be easy to fill, not just because of the size of his character, but the size of himself as well. And I know that he's going to be wonderfully missed, but he's going to be around. He's told us that he's going to come to our meetings, come to our rallies, be on picket lines with us, and I know that he will be. He's a fantastic guy, a fantastic trade unionist, and uh, we're going to miss him. But he's being succeeded by Darren Greenfield, his, his mate who's been fighting alongside with him for years. He's still got a wonderful team with uh, Robbie Kira, um, with uh, Rita Malia, um, and also Michael Greenfield coming into the team. So we know that our relationship is much stronger than the of- officials that currently occupy the role. Our relationship with the construction workers with the CFMEU will last forever. And we just say to you, Sparkles, congratulations, comrade. Uh, and we can't wait to have a sausage on the picket line with you. All the best. Late February, the National Youth Committee had their annual conference down in Melbourne. Uh, Marla was lucky enough to catch up with the Sydney Youth Chairman, Ryan McGibbon-Thompson, to give us all a report. I'm here with Ryan McGibbon-Thompson from the MUA Sydney Branch Youth Committee. And last week, Ryan, you met with National Youth and you came together for a National Youth Committee meeting. Can you tell us a bit about that, please? Yeah, Marla, um, it's come out of resolutions from National Conference that the national or elected national youth representatives from each branch of each state get together you know every two years I think it was so we got together in Melbourne um, when it went through what was working what wasn't working and how we can build and move forward into a more um, solid you know solid platform for young workers in this industry and what were some of the goals that came out of it some of the goals, it was um, really talking about different structures. See, in Newcastle and Sydney, we have different structures to the other branches, and our structures are working. So we're going to have a uniform structure now, uniformed uh, meeting structure to you know, bring everyone around the country together. Um, also, the goals, that we're, we've set ourselves goals, but it's about implementing those goals. So it's, we're doing a three-month trial, then six-monthly. Instead of doing monthly face-to-face, it's going to be quarterly. And um, yeah, I think with the the education and training structures the union provides through political awareness and delegates courses, um, yeah, it will be successful. And I know MUA youth are really at the forefront of the struggle. Can you tell me about some of your achievements as a youth group? Yeah, well, I can speak on behalf of the Sydney branch youth. Um, the last few years, we've been heavily involved with the Save Australian Shipping, Fuel Security, on the offshore visa and um, pretty much any campaign that the union's running we um, we don't need to identify and build our own campaigns we just there's enough going on and to just jump on board and um, promote and brainstorm come up with ideas to make the campaigns the union have more successful it's really about bringing in the younger workers and making them part of the union you know giving them some ownership of the campaigns because most of the campaigns are securing jobs for the future and really, when it's a group up to 35, so it's a, it's a broad range when it says youth, but we're the ones that will be going into the next generation of actually securing the jobs and being the delegates on the job and then leading the fights in the future. Well, comrades, this next report is about the recent trip that the MUA Sydney branch took up to Jakarta at the end of February. It was a tremendous um, trip for all who went, which included myself and Keto as well as leading safety delegates in the port, Simon Ewers, Justin Timmons and Tim Llewellyn. We were basically invited up to Jakarta by SPJICT, which is the union that looks after the Hutchison workers up there in Jakarta, which was as a result of four tragic deaths that have occurred there in the last 18 months. Four entirely separate instances uh, of fatalities. And the Jakarta dockers basically got in touch with us, seeking some support as to how we could build better safety systems. 
And as we always report, solidarity is always a two-way street. And um, they've shown us tremendous support and solidarity over the years, particularly with the 2015 Hutchison lockout, uh, where we saw 92 members made redundant. Uh, basically, as a consequence of the trip, we were able to build on the solidarity between the two nations. We agreed upon a number of very important initiatives that will mean that we not only build safety and improve safety in Jakarta, but also building uh, a regional safety committee uh, of Hutchison Terminals, which was a huge initiative and a great idea that came out of the meetings that we held. We also met up with FPPI and FBPTI, two federations up there in Jakarta who look after the rights and interests of workers in and around the entire port. So it wasn't just about maritime workers, it was about transport workers and the, and the workers in the port communities, which includes clothing and textile workers who are brave fighters, mostly women, and we heard their stories as well. It was a wonderful trip and we all got a great deal out of it and basically continued the long solidarity uh, that the two countries have remembering that maritime workers basically assisted in the struggle for independence against the Dutch with a number of significant, huge campaigns um, led um, in, you know, almost entirely um, by the seafarers, uh, the dockers, the port workers, in particular the F&Ds. Everyone played a role in securing independence from Dutch colonialism. That was received very well and, and I've got to say... Um, I, I never knew the impact that our struggle had on them going back decades. But certainly we have a number of campaigns to build upon, which will mean that we all are better off as dockers and port workers. We work in the same workplaces. We often work for the same companies. And it's up to us to be able to build the relationships, not only to ensure that we remain safe at work and free from injury and death, but also to basically organise across countries, organise down the supply chains, organise across ports, uh, so that we can all enjoy the justice that we deserve. And I've got to say, I don't think um, they got as much out of that trip as we did. It goes to demonstrate that racism is such an inherently toxic um, source of division for workers right around the planet. Um, I know that I have much more in common with the comrades that I met up there, including Saria, Boeing, uh, Rizki, Bowo, and, num- and all of the comrades we were able to meet up there. I've got to say, when we first arrived in Jakarta, when we went and visited the Hutchison Terminal, we were greeted by security guards. And once we uh, arrived in the, the meeting hall, the union uh, rooms in Jakarta, um, we were basically made aware that there were police officers, undercover police officers, inside the union rooms to listen to what we had to say. And very unfortunately, they denied us entry back into the terminal and back into the union rooms so that we had to uh, basically meet off-site. But we weren't intimidated uh, by the, the threats and intimidation that existed up there in Jakarta. The dockers were not um, in any way intimidated by that either. They're on the coalface every day in the week. We're lucky that we could have got on a plane back homes, back to the comfort of, uh, of the Sydney um, dockers community, but they're up there fighting each and every day. We met with the SPC workers. They're contracted workers who uh, drive the machinery, the RTGs, the reach stackers, the forklifts. Uh, basically, they've lost their jobs. They, were, um, they had a contract which only lasted for 12 months. They organised campaigns to get better than the $2.30 an hour that they're subjected to, and that's not a good wage in Indonesia at all. Uh, it's a country of significant wealth, uh, but it doesn't have um, very good redistribution of that wealth and it entirely goes um, to, the, to the rich and famous. Uh, the Hutchison dockers, the, the crane drivers, the team leaders, the senior clerical workers are on $20 an hour. They've got a strong union that fights hard. Um, and these poor workers driving the RTGs and, as I said, the reach stackers and forks are on $2.30 an hour, have no roster, have nothing. And when they sought to organise against their bosses, they were basically thrown out and lost their, their contract. So we're here to say to Hutchison, not just in Sydney, not just in Brisbane and not just in Jakarta, we're coming after you. 
Um, there is nothing that you have in your arsenal that will allow you to subjugate workers, to beat workers, to oppress workers. We have the greatest weapon on earth, and that is solidarity. We will destroy racism, we will destroy division, um, and we will destroy companies that seek to use the repressive laws under um, regimes in Australia and Indonesia and elsewhere uh, to deny our workers the justice they, they deserve. So we all came back uh, inspired and we've come back with a, a heavy workload to ensure that we can build safe systems at work, um, to build organised dockers around the world and I've got no doubt that with the wonderful delegates and members that we've got in both our ports, we'll be able to do that. All right, comrades, well, there you have it, another episode of Radio Stingray. We thank all of the sponsors and we thank all you, the listeners. And remember, there's a couple of very important events to all of our comrades celebrating Mardi Gras on Saturday the 3rd and to all the MUA marches on that night. Um, congratulations and have a great and wonderful evening. We also have the Working Waves on the 2nd of March for all the waxheads out there and for the fitness freaks who are going to participate in the Comrades Cup. I look forward to hearing all of the wonderful reports from that day. And remember, International Women's Day, the 8th of March, and then the rally on the 10th. To all of our comrades um, in the women's movement and all of our female members and all of the activists who are struggling against the patriarchy and against oppression and brutality of the capitalist system, have a great International Women's Day and make sure you overthrow all of the oppressors and the repressors. And as we always finish on, comrades, if you know... Anyone who can see a drop of water, make sure you join the mighty Maritime Union of Australia. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next time. See you later. tuned in to Radio Stingray. Radio Stingray podcast was brought to you by McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, assisting MUA members and their families for 40 years. Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get McNally's on your side.